0: This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting Enterpriseinspace.org:
1: Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM.
0: T. L. Grey
1: Welcome to another cup of Earl gray Trek TREC-FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Joe Keegan, and joined with me today is the entirely irredactable Amy Nelson and utterly non-malevolent Justin Ozar. How are you both today? Amy?
0: I'm doing great. So glad to be here talking more next gen. Very excited.
1: Cool. I went with... Irredactable because I figured like nothing will ever erase you from existence.
0: Oh well thank you.
2: <laughs> and Justin, how are you? Good. I think I just learned a word. I don't think I'd heard irredactable before, but
0: uh
1: I'm I think I made it up. I googled it and I couldn't find okay. any okay. reference to it. So it's now a word it but, means to not be able to be redacted.
2: <laughs> okay. Well that's different than being erased. But anyway, uh good to be here and that you think I'm non-malevolent. I mean, we'll see as the episode goes on, if that's true, depending on the topic we talk about. But yeah. I can't wait to see
1: Justin's dark side.
2: I'm doing great because since the last time we recorded, there's a new short track that's come out that I really loved. Sorry for those outside the US and Canada that you're not able to see it yet, but I I loved it a lot. I've seen it four times so far.
1: Can't wait to see it myself. (laughs) Because I am outside the yes. US and Canada,
2: Joe definitely has not seen this
1: in any way. I have <laughs> no, I have no idea Weak. what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> but be sure to watch after the credits because there's a special little nugget. Yes. in there, I love that. So.
0: Well, I wish I had an excuse because I'm in the US and I still haven't seen it. Oops.
2: Yeah, you you have you have no excuse, Amy. I think actually we should just take a pause for 14 minutes here. Have you watch it, come back, and then we'll see what you think. Okay, we're back and Amy still
1: hasn't seen it, so.
0: Oh! (laughs) (laughs) I
1: mm. I was ready to pause and put out a 14-minute space in the podcast. Yeah. And then we'd have to wait for the complaints to come in. Mm -hmm. Something went horribly wrong. Yes. In any case, we have some iTunes reviews. Which are stellar reviews, and Justin's going to read out our first one.
2: Yeah, so the first one comes from Trekfan four one one five three point seven via Apple Podcasts in the US. By the way, I love that because four one one five three point seven is the star date at the beginning of Encounter at Farpoint. So nice reference there. Uh, oh, I was just looking that well up done. there. I
1: figured that it
2: looks I, like a star. I date. have to admit, I looked at that and I was like, that looks like a real star date from an episode. I did look it mm. up beforehand, but. Very nice. So that was on July 4th. The subject was All Good Things, and Earl Grey review, and they gave five stars. And here's what they said. From the moment I clicked on my first episode and listened to the hosts Justin and Amy, and now Joe, welcome to Earl Grey, by the way, I knew I loved this podcast. From Amy's love and fascination with her favorite characters, especially Troy, to Justin and his observations of the next-gen crew on screen and outside of canon, books, graphic novels, etc., This podcast lets me relive the nostalgia of the show, and it has always put a smile on my face ever since I discovered it. Star Trek The Next Generation has been a huge part of my entire life, and thanks to this podcast, it has given me more of those memories to look forward to, as well as given me hope that we will see a Star Trek future in real life one day. From the show to my own life, the podcast and the people behind it literally helped me be a part of the best of both worlds. I cannot thank them enough. If you're a huge Star Trek fan and a big Next Gen fan in particular, then this podcast is the one for you. May it bring you great joy and gratitude and may you all live long and prosper. So thank you so much. We really appreciate that. I mean, it always warms our hearts to, <laughs> to hear these reviews and that uh, you're enjoying the show so much. So thank you for that.
1: It's just lovely. It makes you, it makes you feel warm and cozy inside, doesn't yeah. it?
2: I mean, I, I, you know, I love podcasting with you guys. It's really fun, but it's like this extra layer that we have people who listen and they give us feedback and they love what we're talking about. It's, it's very fulfilling. So please keep these coming.
0: It is. And you're so specific and, you know, sort of bring out our loves and it's, it's so good that what we have a passion for comes through on Mike and and that's a joy. And so thank you.
1: And who knew Justin knew anything about the, the books? Novels, yeah. Who knew mm. it's,
2: a, it's a mystery? I mean, lately, has there been an episode where I haven't mentioned a book connection?
1: No, Not I really. think that's my fault. I think I make you mention <laughs> stuff about the novels. It's fine,
2: you can always have a segment where you're like, Justin, is there anything in the books about that? <laughs> and I'll, yeah, I'll rack my brain. Let's do it. Yeah,
0: we have another uh review. This is from Lean D, and again on Apple Podcasts in the US, uh, July 9th. And the subject, new fan, great podcast with five stars. And Lean writes, I've had this podcast bookmarked in my Star Trek podcast files for a long time now and finally gave it a listen. I really enjoy the pacing of these hosts. Lots of lively discussion that keeps my attention. I plan to continue listening to this fantastic crew. Happy to be aboard. Well, Lean, thank you so much for coming on board and finally giving us a shot. Thank you so much.
1: Uh, can I just jump in? Is Lean D not the person that won the competition? It,
2: it is, who we haven't heard from yet.
0: <laughs> oh. So she's
1: probably still, or he or she is probably still to get to that episode. That's that's quite yes. possible. Maybe. If
2: you're listening to this, you have until October okay. 31st to let us know <laughs> how to contact you because we only have a name and an initial. But yeah, I mean, we really appreciate that. and And also that it's something that you took a look at a while back and you're like, oh, I should listen to this when I have time. And you actually like bookmarked it, came back to it and listened to it. And we're so glad that you enjoyed the podcast. And we love, uh, you know, our our new fans and our existing fans alike. It's just, again, it's just so wonderful (laughs) when we get these things. Every time we see a review, we just, um, yeah, it just warms our hearts. What else can I say?
1: It means we're going to have to keep on doing it because there's people that rely on us for their podcast nourishment.
2: I know, every week.
1: (laughs) We have some Babel Conference feedback for Earl Grey, 294, which was the one I wasn't here. It was a favourite non-human species with our amazing guest, Nicholas Paul Collinson. Kimberly Lawlor says, I enjoyed this discussion. Some very interesting choices. I especially agreed with time travel. Oh, wait. Then there's a wee smiley face with sweat on it. Which Apparently is called smiley face with sweat. (laughs) I had to to Google it. Actually, the exocomps were the most interesting choice to me, partly because their entire episode centred On defining life and whether these could qualify, they did seem to have some personality. I'm glad you mentioned Bajorans and Cardassians at the end. I find Cardassians absolutely fascinating, thanks especially to the novels by Andrew Robinson and Una McCormick and characters we saw in the show like Ducat and Garak. But I don't know that they're my favourite non-humans because they're with there was such cruelty and paranoia in their culture and society. Maybe it's a little like the Soviet Union. Interesting culture, people and history, but 100% wouldn't want to live there. The Bajorans seem much more appealing in many ways. Thanks for your um, feedback, Kimberly. Um, Yeah, I've always really thought the Cardassians were a bit like um, kind of old-style Russia, like back in the time of the Tsars in the 18th and 19th century. Um, Mm. So yeah, That's a very good comment. Um, The exocomps are a good choice. I will note that I've not listened to this episode yet, but I will do it this week. Exocomps seem like a good choice. I'm a fan of defining anything as being alive if it meets our definition. Whatever that might be. For life. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we had a really good time with Nicholas Paul Collinson, and I really enjoyed all of our picks, and thank you, Kimberly, for... Bringing up time travel. Oh wait, that's Justin's thinking outside the box again. That was funny comment. I Kimberly.
2: chose it for one episode. Okay. <laughs> I know, and you're never
0: gonna live it down. <laughs> Probably,
2: just like Joe is never gonna live Jellico down. I'm gonna make yep. sure of it. But thank you, Kimberly, for your comment. I I really appreciate everything you have to say here. And of course, as we were talking about a moment ago, you mentioned novels. So I should mention, I think, the ones that. Uh, Kimberly is referring to. So the Andrew Robinson novel, Andrew Robinson, who played Garrick, wrote a novel about Garrick called A Stitch in Time, which is absolutely incredible. It's it's his life story. So listeners, you should check that out. Just note that the paperback is very rare, and it's going to be really expensive. So you should get the ebook for that. Um, and then for Una McCormack, she's written a couple of, of novels. I think the ones maybe that I have in mind the most are The Neverending Sacrifice, which is a really, really incredible novel. Um, and The Enigma Tales, which is a really great one as well and is going to be read by at Trek Book Club on Twitter <laughs> this month. So might as well plug that. But, yeah, thanks so much, Kimberly. We really appreciate your comments here.
1: That's cool. My list of uh, Justin's novel recommendations is ever-increasing.
2: Yeah, do, I mean, do I you, think I'll be able do to you have up. time to to read novels or to listen to audiobooks? Because some of the more recent ones are on audiobooks, and you have listened to those, right? Yeah,
1: some of the discovery, the first three discovery? Mm-hmm. Novels I've listened to so far, like the first one. There was one I read um, that I stopped reading because I really didn't like the person that was reading it. It was just really dull. This was a only recent one, or it an s- older one. Sec- was it the second discovery book? Drastic Measures. I think it was. Was it narrated by a woman?
2: Uh, maybe because I think a lot of the more recent ones have been narrated by Robert Petkoff, and I've heard a lot of people say he's really good.
1: Yeah, because the first one was good. Because like. I think that a book, especially an audio book, is all down to the narrator. They can kind of hmm, make it or break it. Um, but this one, and I'm sure it was the second Discovery novel, and I had to stop because hmm. I, I drive to work, and that's where I listen to my podcasts, and I really can't afford to fall asleep Oh, when I'm driving wow, okay, and die. Interesting. Really oh, <laughs> well, Sorry. this has
2: been quite a uh, little detour. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Indeed. So, Amy, you're next.
0: Yeah. All right. We have Johnson Lai who writes, thanks for the great discussion. As you were talking about the binars, it occurred to me that them being genderless makes them non-binary. Thought it was an interesting juxtaposition. Well, Johnson, thank you so much. And I remember bringing that up that they were genderless, but it didn't, I didn't go that next step to say, oh yeah, that's non-binary and here mm-hmm. they are binary. A Great <laughs> comment. Thank you.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I totally hadn't thought about that, but it's a really great observation.
1: I suppose it's just a case of the term binary being used for something that's not gender gender identity or sexual orientation. Well,
2: usually for gender, it 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 means like binary is a choice between like what is male and female, male and female, and non-binary is something other than that. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: But and but in terms of the binars, their binary aspect was to do with their communication and the fact they always went round in twos.
2: Yes. Okay. Cool. (laughs) All right. So we have Simon DeLuca, hashtag still listening. And uh, listeners, I know some of you are, but you should listen toward the end because we have fun bonus questions. Uh, So Simon says, Amy, your question to Justin would make a great podcast. What are the three non-human aliens that each of you relate to the most? So yeah, I think that was an expansion of what we were uh, talking about. And I actually had a chance to see that in reply earlier today. I was thinking uh, I'm most related to Bajorans, Vulcans, and Rhizans, which is maybe a weird combination, but <laughs> different aspects of me, maybe. <laughs> I don't
1: know. So I think I'm going to have to go with Armis, N'Gilum, <laughs> and Khan. Um, Let's go with Khan. Let's make one a
2: species. Uh, yeah, because I think y- this hasn't come up for a while, but you'd like to do away with fictional characters and
0: kill them. Yes.
1: Is that what you are thinking? ones annoy me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure. The more violent, the better. Why not? Let's wow. go there. I'm a, I'm a terrible human being.
2: <laughs> well, sure. in, in what you want to do fictionally, I'm glad in real life you are not like that. Are you?
1: Oh, no. What I don't, what don't know, we know, know. about so your life? Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Nothing. Everything's fine. Let's not talk about mm-hmm. it here. It's not appropriate. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad I'm at a distance. <laughs> You're thousands of miles away. Somewhere in El Paso, Texas. That's right wouldn't take long, Justin. <laughs> oh boy, moving along. Just
0: across the pond. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Uh, okay, so we're going to get into our discussion, and this is part four of our science in the next generation. And today, or previously, we've talked about seasons one to six, and I, as a science teacher, have highlighted all the cool science things that I've found in TNG episodes and what our current understanding of that science has told us. And today we're going to talk about Season 7. In the first episode, we're going to talk about the episode interface. And why I've chosen that is because it features virtual reality. Amy, could you tell us the plot, please, of this episode?
0: Sure. We have LaForge uses a virtual reality probe to explore a wrecked ship inside a gas giant, but he's preoccupied by the disappearance of his mother's ship.
1: I like the all the tech in this episode, but the whole, I never quite got the, the mother being lost bit and him seeing her. And you don't understand
2: why that's part the of the episode? Or?
1: I think I'd really have to watch it again. I'm sure it's quite obvious.
2: Well, so, I mean, what actually happens and ends up happening in the episode is there is this, I think, entity that is trapped in the gas giant and needs some help being brought to the surface. And the way it figures out Uh, to get attention is through this VR probe. And it's like, well, if if he thinks his mother's there, he's going to do everything to rescue us.
1: Get it now, Tori. Do I have to rewatch it? (laughs) Excellent.
0: Well, and it's interesting because just like Future Imperfect, it's Mm. sort of a similar concept of an alien Mm. delving deep into someone's psyche to pull out something Mm. so that they will be recognized on a personal level. So here we have La Forge. You know, thinking about losing his mother, and so this alien takes advantage of the fact. So, uh, but interesting that it shows up with this virtual reality p- probe. I think mm. it's cool.
2: Yeah, I, I, I've always thought. I think the episode itself maybe has a few issues, but I've always found that really interesting that they developed this technology. I guess through his visor he they they can send a probe and he can be kind of hooked in as if he's there with the probe I think it's kind of funny toward the beginning when he, you see him walking by and there's a reflection and the reflection is the probe <laughs> so it's like okay yeah I guess that's what the probe's actually seeing but Really, if it was virtual reality, wouldn't you want to do it so that it looks like him? But whatever. Um, I always find that kind of funny. Like, he looks and he's like, oh, I look like a probe. Um, but, but just the whole idea of VR, I mean, it's something that I can't say I've really experienced. And the idea of having some kind of immersive experience like that that requires you to, like, put on a headset or something. I think that something like the holodeck would be more attractive for me because you could just walk in and stuff's there and you can interact with it whereas like putting on a a headset and and just kind of like looking into that and i know there are ways that they have now where they can make it feel like you know you can move and they can make it feel like you're actually going through this area but there's something about that that's always felt a little weird to me that you're just kind of inside this headset (laughs)
1: Have you have you never tried any VR at all?
2: I'm gonna say that I really haven't. That
1: that I remember. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so that's interesting. I have an HTC Vive, um, which is a VR headset and it's uh-huh. hooked up to my PC.
2: And and that's how you're podcasting right now, right?
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, this isn't actually me. I'm kinda of, I'm out for dinner. <laughs> um, so before you try you don't really know what to expect Uh you see youtube videos of people in vr and you see their view of what they're doing um but what comes across is the power of your visual centers of your brain Hmm. when you first put on the vr headset it feels like you're actually in this new location Hmm. it's completely immersive um and on the HTC Vive, there's kind of a, a landing space. Um, and the one I've got is this kind of kind of mountain house, I suppose. Um, and there's views over the mountains and there's... You can hear the wind and you can hear the birds tweet and Twitter. But your brain kind of fools you into thinking that you're there and you kind of almost imagine the mountain breeze wash over you.
2: Hmm.
1: It's kind of really it's kind of really weird and then when you take it off you go that felt entirely real Hmm, Um, you, you have to try it if you haven't
0: yeah i would highly recommend it so the first time i did vr was last christmas and my nephew brought over his vr thing and we played this game where you hit the music with a lightsaber you hit the boxes and you They've got things coming over you and so you have to duck and you're you know siding sliding left and right so you don't hit these boxes that are coming at you. It was the craziest thing. And I absolutely loved it. I have video of it like you're saying Justin like <laughs> yeah. it's it's just me on this thing and I'm you know bobbing and swaying and going up and down. It's the funniest thing to look and you're like, what are, but it <laughs> felt so real. The uh, second experience I've had is, um, during STLV, like we had a little away mission with some friends and went to the void, which has, uh, VR experiences. And I went and did the star Wars one. And you have not only the VR headset and your ears, phones and stuff like that, but you wear a vest. And so Mm. when you get hit it vibrates. And so you're like, Oh, I got hit, you know, and stuff like that. And they have the whole thing and you're walking through these rooms and you're, you know, trying to take cover. And so you are up and down it's, and you're trying to walk and you're like, I don't know where I'm going. And it's the coolest thing. Mm -hmm. I highly, highly recommend it. So
2: so Joe, when you come to STLV next year, I mean, just bring it so I can try it. because like here's here's the here's the like the the interesting thing about me which is that when something new comes out i often don't go ahead and get it or adopt it unless i see it as something mm-hmm. that's necessary so i can tell you probably sure. i won't get something that's like a vr headset unless they start creating like Star Trek episodes that can be best experienced in that headset. Then I'd be like, okay, I am getting it just so I can see this episode that they made. And I know they're, you know, games and things like that, but if they made an episode, like the, the first episode of season two of Picard, you can get in VR. I'd be like, I am getting that so I can experience it that way. I'm mm, convinced by cool. Star Trek stuff.
0: <laughs> well, I know Roddenberry has created a VR program that mm-hmm. they launched yeah. at STLV Did you have a chance to experience that? I didn't. You know, funny funny
2: story about that, Amy. At STLV last year, I was in the vendor's room and... I think I'm trying to remember maybe like Larry Nemichuk was there with a couple other people and Rod Roddenberry comes by and he's like, hey, guys, how's it going? We're like, oh, it's going great. How are you doing? And he's like, you know, we have this VR thing. We'd love to, you know, take you and uh and experience that. And we're like, oh, great. But then like the the discussion kept going like among the circle of people and eventually he wandered away. So I didn't get to experience it, unfortunately but there was an offer there personal
0: invite from rod roddenberry and just oh dear (laughs) but there was a group
2: of us and i felt it'd be weird if i like just went off myself but i was like oh let's go no but they they were having a great discussion and eventually he wandered off (laughs) yeah i was talking with
0: i was talking with ken and ray about it and they were all you know hyping it up and stuff so but yeah i never experienced it either
1: there's a, a few star trek things in vr that you can get what is the, is it Bob's Burgers? No, Dave and Buster.
0: Dave and Buster's, yeah.
1: They have their own Star Trek.
2: I know, like I said, if it's a, if it's a game, I'll be like, eh, but seriously, if it was an episode, I would totally get exactly the equipment needed.
0: Well, what I think we need to do is do a Earl Grey away mission and go to the Void. It's at the Venetian and experience VR together.
2: Okay, I think we
1: should do that. But why did we do the Star Trek one at Dave and Buster's?
0: Well, you, that's not you walking around. You're sitting in this, you know, four seater, like,
1: like simulate Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. And
0: so, but with the well, and the one at the Void, they have like Ghostbusters, and they have Star Wars, and you know, they're gonna have some other ones by next year. Oh, okay. They don't have
2: a Star Trek one.
0: No. <sighs> you know, Star Wars always gets the love. Uh, so do, so
2: far, indeed. but they're 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 starting to put more resources into Star Trek stuff. We'll see. But anyway, yeah, I mean, it sounds really cool. It's just one of those things where I it's, don't tend to go out of my way to get something yeah. unless I feel it's necessary.
1: Uh, why I wanted to mention <laughs> VR? Yes, I know. There's we've talked about the whole entertainment aspect of it, but there are some interesting medical uses hmm. of it. And I, well, I've not experienced it from a medical point of view. I have have experienced the effects that um, it's used for in medicine. So increasingly, I know the NHS or National Health Service in Oxford have been using it um, to treat people with phobias Hmm. and PTSD by exposing them to the things that cause them fear in small amounts.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And... The, so people, it's been used extensively with people um, that have fears of heights and vertigo. And there's a thing in, on the HTC Vive called Richie's Plank Experience, where you, when you spawn into the game, you're standing on the sidewalk of a kind of typical American city. Um, there's big skyscrapers, and you can see every, there's cars and buses, and there's a helicopter that flies over, and there's birds flying in the sky. And it, it looks it looks kind of real. Um but behind you there's a let's call it an elevator or for people outside the US it's a lift. i was going to um, say you, you, mean, a, you mean a
2: turbo lift. I don't know what an elevator is.
1: <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Um I think it's got cables on it still. Uh-huh. So it's an elevator. Um so you turn around and you walk into the lift and you press the button and there's a number of options but you press the button for the plank and you go up to I don't know the 100th floor or 100 stories up and the door opens and there's a plank of wood in front of you Mm -hmm. out the side of the building there's nothing else just this plank of wood Uh so you can, yeah in terms of the fear of heights your eyes convince you that you're going to die if you fall off the plank but you don't have like a
2: parachute and you're just like yeah let me just jump off (laughs) this and do some base jumping or something
1: no <laughs> no, you don't. You do not have anything like that. Oh wow! If you walk on the plank and you see the plank in front of you, you can walk along it, turn around, and come back and laugh. That's fine. If you fall off the plank, then you will accelerate towards the ground, and when you hit the ground, everything goes white and you hear angels singing. Oh my god! Through the, wow. through VR, um, I put my mum and dad on. Let's do on it, it again. It, and, <laughs> well, I've got yeah. used to it. Yeah. Um My mum went on it and she was, she was in tears. She actually thought she was going to die. She held mm. on to me. I've, I think I've still got the finger marks in my arms. No. She was absolutely no. terrified. Um, and that's how it overrides. you. you tell people, um, I once I, I took it into school once, and I got punched in the chest by another teacher, what? who was so terrified, and she fell off, and she was screaming as she fell towards the ground. And when she landed in the ground, she kind of jumped and punched out and punched me in the chest. Yeah, don't don't um, bring that she was, one. <laughs> yeah, it's that. Even though wow. you tell people, was like, remember, you are standing in my living room or my classroom, and you're standing on a carpet, and you know where you are. You keep telling your brain this, but Mm. your brain doesn't believe it because your eyes are sending your brain a completely different signal. It refuses to believe it. So I used to be, the point about the medical experience, um, I used to be kind of really scared of heights. If I was to go up to like, um, the balcony um, looking over a shopping mall, I'd be like, whoa, I'd feel a bit kind of nervous and my legs would turn to jelly and I would naturally kind of go down and hold on to the banister, Hmm. have the banister above my head um, in case I accidentally fell over the banister. Um, And now I can walk over and walk up, look over, and I'm fine. So Hmm. I think it's it's desensitised me to having this fear of heights, which is kind of cool. But there was an article I read earlier in preparation for this podcast that says, will VR... Desensitize your um, sense of danger, so kind of overuse of VR um, and doing all these things that are overriding signals in your fear response in your brain will it make you more likely to harm yourself by accident in real in real world, especially if kind of VR gets so good in the next couple of years where it's indistingu- indistinguishable from mm. real life.
0: Well, that sort of goes back to the argument of when, you know, pretty violent video games came out and it's like, oh, it's going to desensitize an entire generation. And I, there hasn't been any strong research or evidence to prove that. So it may be just a suspicion or, you know, people hypothesizing, but I don't know how well that would come so, across.
2: So here's something interesting I'm going getting back to the TNG episode interface, there's a point at which like a fire breaks out, I think like on the ship and like the forge feels it and like his skin blisters, so his his body is reacting to what he's seeing. Which I think is a really interesting aspect. I don't think anything we have in VR would do that, where you'd be like, oh my God, I'm in a fire. And you get like burned or something. But somehow, like the information it's sending back to him, his body responds to it or it makes his body hot or something. I've always thought that part was weird.
0: Well, I think that makes sense because even like wearing VR now, like your heart rate is going to go up just yeah, because the visual. Yeah, but your skin's not going to burn,
2: right? I know, but <laughs> I mean,
0: you're going to have a physical reaction. Uh, and so that's okay. just the next step, you know, in, yeah. of what sci-fi yeah, Joe, that, and- that
2: That one where people are on like this tall building and there's a plank, I hope you have never tried to show that to somebody who has a heart condition because that would
1: no, i always ask and it's kind of if you're using it with kids you kind of have to do that kind of risk assessment thing and make sure they don't have any pacemakers it's like using the van de Graaff generator in physics Hmm. and generate like thousands of volts of static electricity if there's pupils with (laughs) implanted devices that are keeping them alive you don't really want them anywhere near it yeah because you don't want your students dying uh, no. no. That's, a, that's a no-no.
2: Yeah. That's like rule number one. Like, make sure your students yeah. don't die. So. Don't kill the students. Wow.
1: Let's move on and talk about our next episode. And for this, I've chosen Force of Nature. Amy, what's this one about?
0: Well, we're investigating the disappearance of several ships. The Enterprise discovers two scientists who claim that warp drive is destructive to the fabric of subspace. So our wonderful speed limit episode.
1: So I think I've kind of looking at this kind of sidelong and thought this episode was kind of about climate change and global warming. It's kind of that kind of analogy that what we're doing is going to damage damage I, where we live. I,
2: I could see that. I mean, I think at the time, maybe it was just general, generally about any kind of ecological damage. But, but yeah, yeah, it could be.
1: So but climate change is the is the big environmental kind of talking point I
2: mean, it, at the moment. It 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 is at the moment. I think at the cause I was trying to remember back because I think in I remember in the early nineties the big thing was the hole in the ozone layer, right? And people didn't talk as yes. talk more much more about that than climate change, right? True. Yeah. But
1: well, I suppose they're kinda of part of the same problem, aren't they? Humans, yeah, they are the same. Overproduction of carbon dioxide and use of chemicals that damage the ozone layer. So hmm. But specifically, I wanted to talk about what happens when the Earth gets too warm. If we continue on this trajectory, then the Earth heats up, more places become uninhabitable, and all the ice melts and sea levels rise. So interestingly, I looked at what happens if all the sea ice melted back into the oceans. Never mind what that amount of fresh water does to the salinity of the oceans and how that affects biodiversity, but just how high do the seas come up. So if all the ice melts, sea levels rise by 70 meters, seven zero meters.
2: Mm -hmm. Which is over
1: 200 feet, right? Yes. Oh, sorry, yeah.
2: I mean for, for so those li- in the I live US. in twenty nineteen.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, <Yeah. laughs> I live in twenty nineteen too, but the US is one of those countries that still uses that imperial system. So
1: one of the very few countries. I know. Like two okay. of you.
2: To be exact, two two hundred and twenty nine feet. I mean that's a lot, right?
1: <laughs> it is it's wow. So I looked what does that mean? It means that It means all it of means Florida. El Paso
2: would still be dry, but Anyway, but yeah, I was
1: going to mention that later. But El Paso is fine. Yeah. Las Vegas is fine. <laughs> Completely, um, all of Florida is underwater. The entire state mm-hmm. is submerged. Okay, um, major cities in the U.S. like Washington, Washington DC, which isn't in a state, interestingly, but Americans all know that. Oh, this. that's
2: a that's a whole there's a whole history there.
1: <laughs> New York, yeah, Houston, New Orleans, and Boston are entirely submerged both LA and San Francisco, being where they are on the coast of California, are hugely changed.
0: And Houston, I'm sure, it would be underwater.
1: Yeah, mention that. I, I, I mentioned Houston, yet? Yes, but tell us, what Gone. about your town in Scotland? Okay, so I looked at the UK as well. The UK is basically fragmented into a series of big islands. Mm. Um, Scotland, well, the highlands, if you go up, say... 40 miles, you start to get into high country and there's lots of mountains in Scotland. So in the central belt where I live, where you have Glasgow, um, which is the largest city for around about 1.4 million people in the greater Glasgow area, and Edinburgh, which is the capital, they're both mostly underwater, Mm. which would make my commute crazy long. In terms of having to drive for a bit, then get a boat for a bit, then drive for a bit, and get a boat for a bit.
2: I was going to say, Amy and I could still podcast from where we are, but you'd have to. And I could podcast from my boat. (laughs) Your boat. Oh my god. But yeah, like it's it's um it's kind of a scary prospect. But like, what would Mm. it take to actually melt all of the sea ice?
1: That's a good question. I'm not sure of the answer. Obviously, if we continue like heating up the atmosphere as we are doing and pumping out as much carbon dioxide. And some governments around the world are still promoting the use of coal and want to increase the use of coal, which isn't going to help. Certainly possible. We have to do yeah. something drastic and it doesn't, it's not going to take governments or big corporations to do it. It's going to take individuals to make changes to their lives, which is going to be uncomfortable, Yeah. but that's what it's going to take. So another couple of points. Um, I have thought about looking at the the new maps of Scotland, if it gets to that point, then you could buy a property on the edge of the new coastline and then when it happens, you'll have a lovely beachfront property. Joe, you're
2: channeling your inner Ferengi right now. You're like, well, you know, lots of uh, places would be underwater and people's lives would be displaced. Maybe a lot of people would die. But man, you could get some really interesting beachfront property.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Wow. It means buying a house in the middle of a field in the middle of nowhere just now. So that it'll be
2: beachfront later. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the town of Ayr is completely underwater. My house is...
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'd be okay where I wouldn't have to drive four hours to get to the ocean.
1: <laughs> I did think about this. And while El Paso and Las Vegas are both above water, it's now unbearably hot to live in. So if you mm. want to go outside, you have to wear a special environmental suit that's well, got built in air conditioning.
0: Las Vegas it's like- can sometimes get unbearably hot. <laughs>
1: that's my thoughts on sea level rise and climate change. Yeah.
2: So like back to the episode itself, Force of Nature, I've always felt like I appreciate the point that they're making, but there's there's also, I don't know, there's something about it that I feel like maybe they could have executed in a different way because initially I was confused by the episode because I thought that what they were saying was that there was something that was going on that they lived in a in an area of space that was especially sensitive to this and over the accumulation of many years it was creating this rift right so i was thinking oh mm-hmm. you know that just means they can only go up to warp 5 in this corridor but actually i think as i rewatched it later and understood it more what they're actually saying is they need to make those restrictions everywhere because potentially this thing could hap this kind of thing could happen anywhere right is is that what it's saying
1: i think that's what they meant it's like yes this place was particularly sensitive yeah. but it could happen to any region yeah. of space,
2: and, and and for me, it always felt like it wasn't quite clear that that's what they were saying. And then they make you know maybe a couple other references in season seven, and they kind of drop it. So you have to assume that maybe they've redone their warp drive, so it won't have the same kind of damage. I don't know.
1: Did they not mention it at some point that they've re? They've done their technological magic. It's never
2: specifically mentioned on screen that they've done anything about this. They just stop mentioning it. I mean, people speculated that for like Voyager, you know how when it's a impulse or whatever, the warp nacelles are flat, and then it kind of goes yes. up. That that may have been a way to deal with it, but it's never been explained yeah. on screen. I don't think.
1: Put your warp coils at an angle. <laughs> that does <laughs> and. Do well, any it, it would
2: affect the the warp field geometry or something like that, but anyway, it's intrepid class you, don't you don't even have to
1: mention that. That's a given. Everybody knows that the warp field geometry. I would mean, of be course, affected. right? I mean, Justin,
2: I <laughs> <laughs> sheesh. But but yeah, it, it's it's kind of an interesting idea, and I think that. That you've seen in other parts of Star Trek, where they talk about you know a society being affected by like overpopulation or other kinds of of damage, but this is an interesting one because it's a damage to like space or subspace itself, which is kind of an interesting idea, going beyond just like a rift or an anomaly, but like hey, there's some big problem with with what we've been using and what we've been doing. We have to change.
1: And I think as with the analogy with you kind know, of humans living on Earth now lies. That we have to change what we're doing, otherwise we're going to just destroy the only home that we have.
2: Yeah, and at a certain point, a greenhouse effect can get to be a runaway, where it just kind of the cycle kind of feeds on itself, like what happened on Venus, which is way too hot to visit.
1: <laughs> yeah, and they've got sulfuric acid clouds on yeah. Venus, so was, yeah, you your skin just like would melt metal,
2: and the the pressure is enough to crush you pretty quickly. So don't want that kind of stuff to happen.
1: It's it's no riser. It's our no, Venus. No, Huh. So, will we move on to our next episode which is Inheritance. Amy?
0: All right. Well, we have Data meeting Juliana Tainer, former wife of Dr. Noonien Soong and Data's, quote, mother. But she holds a shocking secret that even she doesn't know she carries.
2: Oh my God, a shocking secret. What is it? What's the secret? I don't remember. No.
1: I think that Juliana Tanner might be a Sung type android, but just really, really, really advanced, like Super Mark advanced. Five. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah.
0: So I have, on the request of many fans, uh, have been I've started Battlestar Galactica. So this whole idea of robots and having robots programmed that they don't know that they are a robot sort of fits into this because, you know, Juliana, she doesn't know what she is. She really Mm -hmm. thinks that she's a human. And it's so interesting to take that next leap of, you know, what was one of the three criteria? It's like, are you self-aware? You know, Uh so Mm. if is she self-aware, she doesn't know she's a robot. So she's not sentient, Right. That's my question to you.
2: I'm interested, Joe. You put on the outline robot, but why are we not
0: saying Android?
1: Well, because we don't have Androids at the moment. We have robots. Oh, okay. So it's like, oh, in 2019. Yeah. Yes. Our current understanding of science. I've kind of added to that and said, okay, let's talk about robots, artificial intelligence, and quantum computing. Mm Mm-hmm. So in terms of robots, we have lots and lots and lots of robots at the moment around the world. Um, from yeah. silly toys that children can interact with to the robots that Boston Dynamics are creating that are super agile. Um, they can be used... Um, they can You can give them a parcel. You've seen maybe seen YouTube videos. You can give them a parcel, and you can put obstacles in their way, and they'll be able to, like... Like gymnasts, like stand on one foot while you kick the um, box that they're standing on away from them, and they'll be able to hold their balance. I would just, there's a whole science kinematics of robot movement, which is really difficult to do, to get robots to stand up and walk. And I was I was walking yesterday and thinking, how am I walking? What is the what actions am I? <laughs> Don't taking think about to it walk? too
2: much, or you might trip and fall.
1: <laughs> well, because it's so automatic, yeah, I was right? Thinking, I came to the conclusion that walking is just controlled falling mm. and that when you want to walk forward, you change your serv- center of gravity and the f- to, you push your upper body forward. So you start to fall, but then your leg, you bend your knee, move your leg out mm-hmm. so that your foot catches you from falling.
2: That's really interesting that you say that, Joe, because basically when something is orbiting like a planet or a moon, it's kind of controlled falling Mm -hmm. as well. Like you fall a little bit, but then you have something that keeps you moving like horizontally and you fall and like the whole time around. So,
1: yeah, it's going to Newton's thought experiment um, before they had satellites. Newton was thinking if I had a cannon and you fire the cannon, it's going to follow a projectile path Mm -hmm. and hit the earth some distance away but if you keep on increasing the power of the cannon mm-hmm. say you gave it an infinite force the cannon will go in a straight line forever mm-hmm. okay and there's going to be it's some power that the cannon has somewhere in between infinity and zero where it doesn't hit ever hit the ground yeah. it doesn't shoot off in a straight line it doesn't hit the ground it will go in an orbit mm-hmm which gave rise to orbital mechanics. And Hmm. then I think it was Kepler that came up with the the equations that govern um, planetary orbits. Right, yeah. What is it? The the period of the orbit squared is proportional to the radius cubed? Something like that.
2: It's been a while since I've
1: seen it. (laughs) Me too, yeah. (laughs) Sorry if it's wrong. NASA have used robots for exploration for, the past, for decades now, um, like the Curiosity rover on Mars, um, things that can be automated to a point where they'll go around and gather samples and their onboard experiments will be able to analyse the samples for certain chemical signatures, hmm. looking for liquid water on Mars, looking for organic compounds and things that might in future give rise to um, indications of life on Mars. And then we have a whole other aspect of robotics where we have social robots, and robots increasingly being used to be companions to kind of maybe older people or people with Alzheimer's or mm. dementia. Never mind that other type of robot that we can't really talk about. Um, yeah. um,
2: <laughs> Let's just say that it could potentially be used for many activities humans engage in. So
1: I was thinking robots are kind of useful, like companion robots. Would be useful to me because they would constantly remind me to do stuff that I'm supposed to be doing and stop me procrastinating. And if we
2: and if we can't get clones, maybe a robot could do what you were thinking your clone could do, and could like you know do your job and all the chores around the house, and you could just kick back and immerse yourself in a VR wonderland.
1: <laughs> this, is, this is true. I'd end up like seriously morbidly obese because so the robot would be doing everything, and I'd be like lying, like kind of. And a, like Wally, yeah. Like exactly.
0: A couple of Disney movies have been popped in, like uh the Big Hero, and now you're talking Wally, and now we're getting to oh, the Big Hero Six, of, yeah. Oh, he's a companion robot, you know,
1: and yeah. he, he is, yes. Yeah. But,
0: but, you know, then it's like, okay, you're creating this robot to do all of your menial. And then are we getting closer to measure of a man? What if we could just create? That's the
2: question that I have for for you, Joe. So, so we have robots that can do these tasks. I mean, they'll probably get more and more sophisticated over time. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where it will be something like data, where there's a question like, is this a sentient being? Does it have its own rights? Do you think we'll ever get there?
1: I don't see why not. Um, humans like to create things and improve upon technology. But like, here,
2: here's the thing: like, where is the the dividing line between not being conscious and being conscious, or not being sentient and being sentient? Like, how do you know even how to get there if we don't even completely understand what consciousness is, or what sentience really is? You know?
1: Um, do if we if we don't know how to define something, then mm-hmm. we don't know how to define it for anything. Okay, I guess, I guess here's my question: ga- like biological or if
2: artificial. If like a robot keeps getting more and more and more sophisticated over time, will there inevitably come a point where it achieves consciousness or sentience? Or is that something you have to specifically, like, think for and plan for and try to do?
1: I, I get. I can't answer that. Yeah, no, I don't know either. What consciousness is right? We don't know where it. Your consciousness is encoded. In your brain if it is at all or if it's just a a by of the, the complexity of the the human brain mm. um i think that there, there will need to be three things so robotics has to get more advanced for a start to make a robot look and be able to act like a human then we need in order to do all the things humans do we probably need some kind of quantum computer Mm-hmm. Now we have quantum computers just now. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have some prototypes and they can do the normal operations of a normal computer, albeit a lot faster. Um, but there's an idea out there that quantum computers will be able to do things, not just faster, but do things that normal computers won't be able to do. Yeah. And then we need artificial intelligence.
2: I mean, we have artificial intelligence, uh, we, but we need it maybe more sophisticated, right?
1: Well, I don't know that we do have artificial intelligence. No, we
2: we we okay, it depends on how you define it, but there are things where artificial intelligence is used where you you set up something for a specific task, but you set it up so that it can learn by itself from what it's doing and kind of get smarter mm-hmm. and more sophisticated by itself. That's that's how artificial and that's being used like right now
1: in a lot of different
2: applications, yeah. but it's not conscious or uh-huh. anything.
1: <laughs> no. But would artificial intelligence be conscious? I think there's a difference between what we use just now, like machine learning, where we have really sophisticated algorithms that can help us in our everyday life. For example, my new Apple Watch, when I'm out walking the dogs, it'll tap me on the wrist saying, oh, it looks like you're out walking. Do you want me to record it for your your fitness app? I'm like, sure. Um, When I get into my car in the morning, my phone recognises the pattern of my daily life. So if it's a weekday and I'm getting into the car at 7am, my phone recognises that I'm going to work. So it says, oh, it's a, an hour and 15 minutes to work. Here are the directions. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not artificial intelligence, but okay. it's just a series of really clever algorithms. So I was curious, so I, look,
2: I looked up what the definition of artificial intelligence is. Do you want to know what that is? Yes, please. Okay. So theory and development of computer systems able to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence, such as visual perception, speech recognition, decision making and translation between languages. We already have some things that do some of those things, right? Mm-hmm. So
0: do we have something that does all of those things? I think that's the question. I
2: think that the part about visual perception and maybe more advanced decision-making we don't have yet, but we definitely have speech recognition and translation between languages, right?
0: Well, and we're getting now like those cars that will parallel park and they're testing, you know, that they can travel from point A to B, you know. Mm
1: -hmm. Self-driving cars, yeah. yeah. There was an article I read earlier about um, Olympic judges being replaced um, with kind of, let's call it artificially intelligent judges. So like for gymnastics, where there's very specific movements required and they happen very quickly, Hmm. um, an artificially intelligent judge will be able to see everything from multiple angles. Here's
2: the thing about that though, because I think there's two things that go into that kind of judging. One of them is the technical perfection or the Mm -hmm. technical ability, but the other is the artistic expression of it and I don't think we're yet Uh at a place where artificial intelligence could judge that right
0: which is why you would still need human
1: judges yeah
0: yeah because they can be technically good and accurate but you know one person may have more passion that yeah that inspires not a technical skill right right? yeah
1: if it was a gymnastics routine was like a hundred percent like technically accurate but i had no flair or passion it would it'd be like data playing the violin i was just thinking about data playing the the violin aesthetic
2: i'm like uh, well here here's the test like is is it something that you could say well logically this is flawless or that a vulcan in a compromised state like Sarek would cry at (laughs) because then you're getting somewhere Mm. but um true true but yeah it is an interesting question like the because i think At the point that you could get some kind of artificial intelligence to understand on its own what makes for artistic expression and inspiration and kind of in a way feel those things itself, I think you're there as far as some sort of consciousness or sentience or self-awareness. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe they're mimicking what that would be. That's the hard question, but. But, but I think that like in our lifetimes we're going to see these things progress more and a lot of the, more of these questions asked, right?
1: Yeah, true. Well, recently Google um, published a report but then quickly deleted it that they have a prototype quantum computer. I saw that. that. performed a really complicated calculation um, and it would take our most advanced supercomputer, like normal kind of semiconductor computer, over 10,000 years yeah. to kind of process. And it took Google's... Um, quantum computer at 3 minutes and 20 seconds.
2: I wonder why they deleted it. If it Was it just like, whoa, uh, that's not right? Or was it like, the world's not ready for that? Because that's actually kind of a dangerous thing because a lot of our world functions on secure communications that can't be broken by mm. computers, yes. at least like within a reasonable period of time. But quantum computers have the possible ability to crack those like very quickly. And... to to need a completely different set of secure connections that are based on quantum mechanics. Anyway, which is a whole interesting thing. So,
1: Yes, so like anything, um, like hackers will try and circumvent security and the security industry gets better at securing data. And it's this constant um, race to kind of beat the hackers. So with the advent of quantum computers, there will be a whole section on quantum security and encryption yeah which will be a new a new science in itself i suppose Mm -hmm. is anybody's brain tired yet
2: (laughs) no i'm invigorated but but like whenever we have these discussions about science and things that we have now and what's coming it just makes me think like wow we're gonna see some incredible things and some really difficult challenges we've never had to deal with before like in our lifetimes
1: Mm -hmm. It's when, like talking about climate change, it's when like, we get proper artificial intelligence that's kind of self-aware and it's like we feed it the problem of, <laughs> oh, what do we do? How do we fix the planet? <laughs> I um, know what you're going to say. Like, sea levels have risen 70 meters like everybody's getting washed away and Las Vegas is like a million degrees Um, and it goes okay give me access to the planet and I'll be able to fix it for you and then it just launches all the nuclear weapons and wipes out the humans I was going to say like humans are the problem
2: solution exterminate the humans
1: (laughs) right exactly. I know it's a a common trope of science fiction that um, we are the problem so how do you fix it
2: I, I mm. I'd like to think that that wouldn't happen that it, and that it would be more like okay you know let me see what I can do to provide a service to the people that created me I don't know maybe it wouldn't happen that way I'd hope so
1: <laughs> so there was a a robot and it was it's from a few years ago um, I think I might have mentioned it before on an episode um, it was an example of a an almost artificially intelligent. Robot and had the face of it was a famous author, was it Ray Bradbury or somebody like that? And it was being interviewed. I'm sorry, a robot
2: with the face of Ray Bradbury?
1: Well, they had (laughs) it was like one of these human simulation robots, and they'd put given it a face that looked like Hmm. it was a famous sci fi author. I'm guessing, I think it was Ray Bradbury. And they asked it the question in the future of artificial intelligence, it was something like, "What will you do with the humans?" And it was like, "Oh, if humans are my friends. I will, I will like the humans. Humans created me. Um, I will keep you in my human zoo." <laughs> it was like super creepy and like artificial <laughs> intelligence um, has a history I'm laughing of at saying that. Maybe really, I really <laughs> creepy, ominous things. Just the fact that, "Oh, yeah. I will look after you and keep you in my human zoo." Yeah, if it was a human saying that, they'd be a psychopath, wouldn't they? But yeah, no, it was a, well, a computer that, that came up with that
2: phrase. that That's the whole thing, like the the kind of logical series of like deductions or reasoning, where it's like, yeah, the, the robot might be like, I care about humans a lot. I want to take care of them. I'll put them in a zoo, right? Whereas mm-hmm. a person who's not a psychopath would be like, I like humans. I care about them a lot let me see what I can find out about the biggest problem and help them solve that, right? Like, because yeah. naturally we take into account like, okay, let's see what the problem is. Let's see how people are hurting or what we can do about that. And and you're saying like, at least in this form, this robot isn't even thinking about that. It's it's just like, well, I don't care what they think about. Well, you know, they'll be fine in a zoo. So that's really interesting.
1: True. Yeah. So i will just Googled it again. It was modeled after Philip K. Dick. Oh, okay. Um, who's um, the novelist that inspired Blade Runner and the question they asked it so they interviewed it it was a PBS interview in 2011 and they asked it will robots take over the world and the robot said geez dude you (laughs) all have the big questions cooking today but you're my friend and I'll remember my friends and I'll be good to you so don't worry even if I evolve into Terminator I'll still be nice to you I'll keep you warm and safe in my people's zoo, where I can watch you for old time's sake.
2: Are you making that up? Is that actually what it said? No, I'm reading the actual
1: quote. Yeah, and all uh, all these little human kind of nuances to it, Um, like for old time's sakes, Um, M-O-L apostrophe. Yeah. Wow! Yeah, it's like it's a bit ominous. Like, where's the off switch?
2: Okay, I I wish I could f- burn it with fire. I, I wish I could find this now. But I think someone used artificial intelligence, and and they fed in like all of the scripts from all of the TNG episodes, and they had it write a new TNG episode. And it was hilarious because it made like no sense whatsoever. Have you seen that?
0: Never heard of I've it. I've
1: seen examples of where they they feed it. Kind of other franchises scripts and come out with a, a new version, and they're all about zany and wacky.
2: Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> I, I think I found it because this just happened like last year, where but an artificial intelligence bot like tried to write an episode of of TNG, and it was it was so hilarious. <laughs> Do you want me to read you part of it?
0: Yes, please.
2: <laughs> okay. So episode 270, I don't know where they get these numbers from. Episode 279, here's looking at Q. Opening shot, the heavily damaged Enterprise (laughs) in orbit around a family restaurant. (laughs) So already it's totally surreal, right? Okay. And then you have Picard. Captain's Log, stardate 48213.7. We have been involved in a damp and terrible battle. (laughs) However, today is my first birthday in space, so I'm going to have an elaborate cat food dinner with my friend Worf. (laughs) I mean, it's just oh my like gosh. this insane stuff that no like human writer would ever write. Like, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but but it like you read it and it just gets progressively more insane. <laughs> so mm. so yeah, there's a, there's a long way to go before they'll write episodes, let alone hopefully like
1: determine things related to our existence. Yeah, but when they when they get it right, it'll be really easy just to say. Um, <laughs>
2: I'm sorry. I kept. I kept reading it. I shouldn't have done that it's so. Let me give you the next you okay? part. I'm sorry because it's okay. Okay, go for that. So, dining room of family restaurant. <laughs> Picard says, "Mr. Worf, I appreciate this present <laughs> of clothes for my birthday."
0: <laughs>
2: I'm sorry, but uh, but uh, but as I am a boy, I need me my toys. <laughs> And then Worf replies, you have disgraced my father with your words.
0: <laughs> I
2: just, okay, I'm done for this episode.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh.
2: It's so insane. And I love things that are insane like that. Anyway, <laughs> I'll have
1: to send you guys you a, link to send to this. a link to You have to send us the link. Please do. Yes. <laughs>
2: I think I've totally derailed the episode. I'm sorry. But
0: oh my gosh, listeners, Justin is literally crying with the we need the emoji with the tears coming out the eyes. This is Justin. And and with the
2: the head that's slanted sideways because it's laughing so much. Yes. I'm going to put it in the chat here guys cuz oh my god. Anyway, uh sorry, we were talking about what were we talking about? Were
1: we still talking about robots? We were, yeah, robots, AI, quantum computing. Uh I think we're kind of done with that conversation now. I (laughs) think we've exhausted it. I think we're done for the episode because I can't take
2: anything seriously right now and I need a minute.
0: But good discussion. Like, I love... (laughs) You know, talking about the science and Joe, I love that you bring it up. Justin. I need to stop reading it. I'm sorry. I'm closing doing Close my the final window. thoughts. Close and the you're window, all laughing over me.
2: Joe, you need to keep all of this, this in. This is a
1: <laughs> this is an intervention, Justin. <laughs> okay. Close the window.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs>
2: it's it's closed. It's closed.
1: <laughs>
2: my face hurts.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. I've never seen Justin like this before. It's rare
2: that I get like this, but when I do I
0: know, I love it.
1: I think he's having a humor, a humor seizure.
2: I think I am. No, but I'm serious. When I laugh so much that I cry, like it hurts at like the back of my face and in my skull, and that's what's happening. So
0: (sighs) depressed. This is like on generations when Data can't control his emotions, and he's laughing at every joke that he's told for the past seven, eight years.
2: Okay.
1: Space. (laughs) What is the point of it? You have no idea. This is the enterprise, a big circle with a porch. I'm the cap- I'm the captain Picard. Come with me.
2: Are you making this up now? Don't you are. He's no? reading.
1: Don't tell me what to eat, Lieutenant. Says Riker. Make a mess is making a mess is not a crime. But what if it was? That's Picard. Data says. Is that a human metaphor? And would you please stop speaking with human feelings, Riker? It's the Borg. I do not believe that is correct.
2: <laughs> you told me to zany. close like. the window, and so you open it and I start know, reading. I know now. Stop, Joe's stop. going off rails, Listeners, you What am I
0: going to do? <laughs> you said to send me the I'm link that pro-
2: I did. Wow. I, mm. let's let's Look keep going because you, you guys do. I'm professional
1: enough <laughs> to read it and not and lose all it's, composure. It's because
2: you have no sense of humor, apparently. But. <laughs> oh my god. No, really. I'm like, people
1: offended. Let's, let, let's. My sense of humor is nuanced. <laughs> yes, and you'll
2: keep us in your human zoo. Okay.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We appreciate that. Not you, Justin. <laughs> You're not getting in the zoo.
2: Too much laughing. I'm disqualified. <laughs> Too much laughing. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Keep going. I will come. I will. When I can come back in, I'll give you a thumbs up. But you guys do everything until that point.
0: So, Joe, can I continue my final thoughts? Please,
1: please do. With gravitas and seriousness. (laughs) Yes, please.
0: So, no, I really do enjoy these uh, science episodes. And we hit on some great topics. Uh, Obviously, not just for entertainment like the VR, but the... You know, medical uses and you know, talking about climate change and what it was back then in the nineties versus what it is now. I love that comparison to see. I mean, it's been thirty years and we're still dealing with the same type of issues. And I just think so much to learn from NextGen and grateful that they have these scripts in there that we can have these discussions. So thank you, Joe.
1: Well, thank you, Amy. Yeah, I'd really enjoy doing this too. And science is easy because science is my language. So I really enjoy watching TNG episodes and thinking about what is the the impact of that in terms of science, or what does modern day science tell us about the science of the episode? So it's good fun. Justin, are you are you back with us?
0: I don't know if I am yet.
2: Go ahead, go ahead. I'm getting totally serious.
0: You know, next week. We Wait, I haven't given my to.
2: final thoughts. You don't
0: want to. We're going to any- come back to your final <laughs> thoughts until you gather. So your join composers. us next week
1: for another cup of Justin's craziness.
2: <sighs> You're making it
0: worse.
1: I, I know.
2: <laughs> I, I don't know do how it can get worse. Okay, I'll give you simple final thoughts that I can get through. It's been great having this discussion, getting into yeah all the implications of all of the future stuff. I can't even talk right now. <laughs> But, okay, but no, really, like every time we do these episodes, Joe, it goes into such interesting directions because you prepare this and you say, here are the episodes and what we're going to talk about. I actually don't do any preparation because I figure you're going to lead us in the directions and tell us about, Mm. you know, the scientific articles and how you're thinking about it. And we can get into some really like profound thoughts about things that are dangerous to our planet and things that we really need to think about where we might create sentient beings in the future. So I think it's it's really great when you when you bring this to us and when you can make me laugh like an idiot. It's you know a special bonus maybe. I don't know if you guys Excuse are think it's a bonus right now.
1: You made you laugh like an idiot. <laughs> Nothing to do with <laughs> me. That
0: All right. is true.
2: <laughs> you started talking about robots, and that naturally led to the insane. Uh,
0: naturally, TNT spread, right? it
1: was a robots, logical progression. This, is this a serious thing? We we'll have to be careful.
0: Yeah. We do. I
1: may actually send one of my sentient robots to come and get you. You have sentient robots? And remove robots? the humor centers of your brain. Yes. Okay. That's one of the dark things you don't know about me.
2: There are many dark things apparently we don't know about you. At least the things mm-hmm. you fantasize fictionally about. So
1: True. Mm-hmm. And I will leave you thinking about which ones of them are true. Anyways, Justin, you have a preview of next week's episode. Please I do. do it it's, without it's, smiling. It's
2: serious. Well, I can't guarantee not smiling because I'm happy about it, but I won't like lose it and laugh too much. All right. So listeners, we're excited that next week we're going to bring you an interview, and it's with Jennifer Gotti, and she played Baal in the Birthright two-parter, so she was the... Uh, half Romulan, half Klingon in those episodes. And she also played Libby in the Voyager episode Non-Sequitur. So I think we're going to have a great time talking to her. I met her um, at Star Trek Las Vegas. She was very nice and uh, agreed for an interview. So we'll be happy to bring that to you.
1: I randomly watched Non-Sequitur last night and I realized, I was like, that's Jennifer Gatti. And we're interviewing her next week. That's right.
2: Yeah. And she plays Libby. Yeah. It's very cool.
1: Yeah. Well, it's been so much fun talking about more science in TNG, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here in the network. Here is what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM.
2: Previously on Trek.fm, Earl Gray. Okay, that's excellent. And it'll be interesting to see how we interpreted the topic because I know I may have interpreted it uh, maybe a little differently than others did. We'll see.
1: Is this another time travel I
2: No, I was, I was going to say no time travel for me as long as... Jellico doesn't come into this sure
1: okay so we'll make okay. that deal then awesome <laughs> i all right literary treks
0: and you know the the stakes are are really big you know we'll we'll get there but you know this board ship threatens earth and all this kind of stuff and it just feels like it, it's it's a lot of really comic booky over the top stuff that doesn't quite fit right with the novel that came before it and the novel that came after it, if that makes sense.
2: <laughs> Primitive Culture. A look at history and culture through Star Trek.
0: And next-gen arriving was, was this sort of, whoa... Wow, this is looks incredible. I know when we look at sort of first season, next gen now, what we're going is, wow, this is really slow and stagey. But in fact, it was it was incredible. It was absolutely um, game changing. The
2: Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Only because I was watching little bits of emissary recently is that he would see himself wearing that
1: awful purple swimsuit and think, oh God, I can't wear that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh my god. Every time
1: I see it, I'm like, whoa, I'm really glad I'm not wearing 24th century clothing.
0: <laughs> if you wanted me to murder an entire society, fine. <laughs> but I'm not wearing that bathing suit. Too revealing. Oh. That's why right, I draw the line. <laughs> that's funny.
2: And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
0: Check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show, and we will read it on air.
2: If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link.
1: We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up.
0: If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm.
2: So, Amy, where can people contact you when you're not telling me to stop being so crazy about my laughter? (laughs) (laughs) Wow.
0: Oh, goodness, Justin. (laughs) Well, mm, yeah, that's too funny. (laughs) Well, you can find me here on the network where I'm hosting The Edge with Patrick Devlin. And you can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. Uh, But my favorite place is right there in the Babel Conference. So, Joe, where can people contact you when you aren't warp speeding through space?
1: When I'm not warp speeding through space. Uh, they can contact me when I am warp speeding through space in exactly the same manner as they would when I'm not warping through space because like my warping through space vessel has um communication abilities. Wait, you're Subspace warping through space yeah.
2: vessel? It doesn't have a name?
1: Yeah. It does have a name. Mm-hmm. And it is? Warping through a space vessel. Okay. I
2: was going to say the uh, USS Joe 9 billion clone. No, that doesn't work. 9 billion Borg. It would be
1: a really big ship. mm, (laughs) No. Anyway, wherever (laughs) I am and whatever I'm doing, you can contact me on Twitter at joeyjoe77uk. You can email me, joepodcasts at gmail.com, or you can find me in the Babel Conference. Justin, where can people contact you when you're not designing your environmental suit for when El Paso gets too warm?
2: <laughs> it's yeah, it's already pretty warm in the summer, but uh we do need to work on that environmental suit for sure. Didn't we talk about before the something that could generate like a bubble around you that's air conditioned? That would be really cool. Yes, for we that, did. Right? We yeah. did, yes. Well, when I'm not uh, thinking about that, you can find me elsewhere on the network co hosting The Line. That's our Star Trek Picard podcast with my friends Chrissy DeClerc Zalagi and Brandon Shay Matala. We're talking about lots of Picard stuff. We recently had an episode where we talked about the trailer that was released at New York Comic Con. We also recently had an interview with director Honolly Culpepper, who's directing the first two episodes of Picard. And we've been talking about various things related to The Next Generation as well. In the run up to that show that we now know is going to come out on January 23rd and also a short track on January 9th, so we'll be covering all that stuff as it comes out. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook.
1: If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's patreo dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits and more, available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm.
2: So I know it's later than usual, but you want a bonus question? I know Joe lives for no, this. No, you. you. don't? No. no? He's kidding, yes we do. Yeah, okay. Hashtag still right. listening. So you have to, yeah, you have to answer this because you saw okay. me go crazy with laughter and kind of lose control earlier. Mm-hmm. Tell me about a moment in your life when that's happened and why, or has it happened? <laughs>
0: So, losing control laughing uh, happened a lot in high school. I had some dear, dear friends, and we were just thick as thieves, and we went to the mall. I think it was Saturday, you know, because that's what you did in the early 90s, hang out at the mall, and I don't even know what we were talking about, but we went to the Orange Julius stand, and we were, you know, drinking our Orange Julius, and my friends just busted up. I had this big, you know, took a big drink of my Orange Julius <laughs> and it came out through my nose. Oh my God. <laughs> it was so, and like my friend, so like I'm leaning over with Orange Julius spewing out <laughs> of my nose and my friends like flies just, zoop, they fly away and leave me there. And I'm like, hello, can I get some napkins? <laughs> and they all left me high and dry. Oh my God. Just. I will never let them live that down.
2: Wait, but that caused you to laugh and lose control. Well,
0: I don't know what we were just laughing and. I-
2: <laughs> oh, oh! I see you. So you were laughing at something, but you yes. had just drank something and it came out your nose. Oh my yes, god! Yes,
0: that is the one control uncontrollable laughter moment that comes to mind. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's a good thing I didn't have anything that could do that yes. out my nose. Wow, what an experience! <laughs> You're gonna have to top that, Joe.
1: I don't think I can. I think there are I have lots of examples and it's usually either me and my sister or me and my friend Kate. And it's usually nothing that you would find funny. Yeah. Like it's just us being silly and something kinda tickles your brain in a certain way. And it just becomes the most hilarious thing ever. And you take it to a point where invariably I can't speak for laughing feeling like i'm going to rupture some internal organs because it's excruciatingly painful when you laugh that much it's like a proper belly laugh Mm -hmm. and there's tears streaming down your face yes and when you think if you if i were to be able to remember an instance of what why we were laughing or what was funny it wouldn't be funny
0: yeah exactly and then just laughing because you're laughing and (laughs) laughing
1: yes and then one person laughs and it's like it's like when people yawn, that one person yawn, like everybody in the room will yawn. Um, same with people laughing. Laughing Except makes other people laugh. on
2: this episode, because I don't think you guys were laughing as much. Shame. No. We had to be in the same room. That was the problem. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, <clears throat> uh, well, that was really fairly. interesting to find out about you guys. Um, we'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trabuzio, Joe Keegan, Jim McMahon, and me, Justin Ozer. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey.
1: So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey.
0: Great joy and gratitude.
2: I'm going to have an elaborate cat dinner with my friend Worf.
1: Thou shalt not make a machine in the likeness of a human mind.